Hello and welcome to Work and Witch, the podcast where we talk business and so much more with creatives, dreamers, and neurodivergent business owners that would simply implode if they didn't have a way to get the constant rotation of ideas out of their brains and into the world. I'm your host, Jackie, aka your cosmic bestie, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into it. I am so excited to welcome to the podcast your friendly neighborhood wardrobe stylist, aka Peyton Dale. Thank you so much for being here. It was I've been following you for a while and I love what you do. And it was such a shot in the dark. I was like, I really, really, really want to talk to Peyton and I want to do it on the podcast. So thank you so much for taking a chance and saying yes and coming on. Thanks for having me. So for anybody who um, lives under a rock and doesn't know you and what you do, can you tell us just a little bit about what you do? We'll get more in depth into what you do later on, but can you give us a little bit about what it is that you do? Anyone that lives under a rock, come on. Um, <laughs> hey, Jackie says, I'm your friendly neighborhood wardrobe stylist. I My primary job in person is to dress musicians for music videos and photo shoots and red carpets and custom and all that fun stuff. Uh, and then I also have a whole other side of my business on TikTok where I help regular people figure out their own personal style. Yeah, I and that's how I found you, of course, um, because I am not a star. So you are a stylist to the stars and also your internet's favorite um, friendly neighborhood wardrobe stylist. What like brought you um, from point A to point B sort of like what, what tell us a little bit about your journey into how you got where you are now. How long is this podcast? <laughs> how much time do we have? Uh, as far as how I got into styling in the first place? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, it all started when I was born. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so it, it was kind of, there were two parallel tracks going at the same time. One, when I was 13, I got really into the Beatles, really hardcore into them. And I'd always had, you know, I used to sketch bridal gowns and I used to sketch things when I was eight, nine, 10. I had a great seamstress for a grandmother, but I really didn't register style until about 13. And it sounds really dumb, but I thought the Beatles were so cool and I knew I couldn't be one because the whole like being a girl thing. So I thought, well, I'd like a boyfriend that looks like a Beatle. How can I get <laughs> And I thought, what do all the Beatles girlfriends have in common? And it was the haircut. So I got the haircut and uh, I decided to like start really getting into vintage style in general. So I started doing deep dives. I started going thrifting. And then from there, I had a fashion blog called Peyton Place, which RIP. Um, this was like 2008, 2009. So I guess I was an original influencer. But yeah. <laughs> I did midsize and before midsize was a term and plus size vintage fashion styling as well as blogs about just being a teenager and someone in my early 20s trying to figure it out. And from there, I got discovered as a plus size model. So I was about a size 16, 18. And there wasn't really a market for girls at that time that were my size that kind of already had their own thing going. So I booked some photo shoots from there. And then every time I would do a shoot, they go, oh, we don't want to dress the fat girl. So I started styling my own shoots. Um, that's kind of how I got started. I started styling. I hate when people are like, I styled myself because I go, you just got dressed. But I was actually styling photo shoots for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's how. I love it. So what took you from, um, you know, being a stylist, working with artists mm -hmm. to decide to work with sort of the everyday person one-on-one? -on -one? Well, the truth is it's COVID. Yeah. So I had done a little bit of online branding and styling people virtually already, but I had focused it mainly on musicians. So musicians that couldn't get to Nashville where I'm based, we would do stuff like that. And then at the beginning of COVID, those initial two weeks is when I joined TikTok, like a lot of us did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I thought, let me just start by reminding everybody in the morning, put on real pants today. You're going to feel better. Like don't lay in your depression den watching Tiger King in your sweatpants. And from there, people would go, well, I don't like pants. So I go, okay, here's my favorite pants. And then it kind of just started this whole thing. People started coming to me and asking me questions about body types and things that I was already doing with my musicians in real life. So I thought, well, everybody has to put pants on. Let's make it easier. So over the next two years, I really honed in on my soul sailing process, which is what I talk about all the time with 
on my lives and on my TikTok page, which is just virtual, like helping people find their true and authentic personal style virtually. I, which I want to do eventually. <laughs> um, I'm, I absolutely love it. And the reason I fell in love with your content is, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is people that are out there actively anti-gatekeeping and, you know, like the sort of fashion industry and the sort of world of styling is, can feel like such a separate other thing to the everyday person that's not in it. And can it feel so like frightening and unapproachable? Um, so I absolutely love that you're out there demystifying stuff um, for the public and obviously everybody else does too. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing um, COVID sort of was the catalyst for what brought you um, – like what got you started in it. But what made you sort of like fall in love with that, the sort of demystifying personal style for people in a public way? I had this realization that not everyone can do what I can do. Yeah. And for the longest time, I didn't understand why people needed someone like me, which sounds horrible and like it's not job security at all. It, it made sense to me, oh, musician's going to go do this big show and they don't have access to the designers that I have access to. But real people would come up to me and say like, oh, I love your, your stuff on Instagram. Don't judge me for what I'm wearing today. And a lot of people just don't know. They're, they're not taught this at an early age or they don't have an example of someone at an early age. And I had my grandmother who, you know, showed me about proportions and body types and horizontal and vertical lines and, you know, all that stuff. Not everyone did. And it's kind of in the same way that a lot of people kind of go into the family business and go into what they know. Uh, it felt like breathing to me to go into something music related and showbiz related and fashion related, but not yeah. everyone has. But the other the other thing too is I joke that I was raised by a mother that made records not dinner, so when normal people were moving out of their house and like they were able to learn how to cook or they were able to cook, I had to learn all over again. So I realized there's these skills that some of us are taught as children, some of us are born with a knack for, and some of us aren't. And there's room for everybody to be able to make a living and to kind of help keep everyone's. I, I'd say I'm always keeping my side of the street clean, but to really contribute to the community virtually and in person with your skills that you have. So you're helping people find their personal style. What does that mean to you? Um, like what exactly is personal style for you? Such a great question. Once again, how long do we have? <laughs> I kept running into, I would say stuff about, Oh, well, here's my favorite jeans. And then based on your style preferences, blah, blah, blah. And then people would come to me going, I don't even know what my style preference is. Yeah. And so much of it, it's almost like energy work. Honestly, it's really kind of digging into a person's soul and kind of pulling out who they are and what they like. Um, I noticed patterns over and over again about working with people where it's kind of like a therapist that can put things together like, oh, that's probably stemming from something here. And that's something from childhood. I started realizing that very quickly in other people. So I started realizing, okay, well, you weren't able to express yourself as a kid. Therefore, you have problems now. Here's how we figure out what that style is. So I have a bunch of really weird questions to pull out those answers that I need in order to give someone what they actually, like their avatar. It's a, it's a, I don't know how to explain it unless I'm doing it. It's a very yeah. weird thing. And when I'm doing it, I'll go into a trance almost where I don't realize like, oh, I'm just downloading. It feels like it's coming from something greater. I'm downloading what their actual soul needs to look like, which seems yeah. very woo-woo now that I'm saying it out loud. No, I love it. And honestly, you know, you said that some people don't even know what their personal style is. And I will say like, I know what I like. I know that I can look at something and be like, oh, I love that, but I would never be able – not never, but I, I struggle to be able to know what's that going to look like on me. And also, if you had – like if I had to define my style, I have such a hard time with it. But I saw – I think – on I don't know if it was on TikTok or Instagram. I saw you say one day um, that you were dressed like a boy from the 70s, and I said that is yes. what I – that is <laughs> – that – that <laughs> – that is what I gravitate toward. Um, yeah, you look, as I always say that I'm an extra on that '70s show. Yeah, yes, that is a that, but like with some pink and rainbows thrown in, is what I like. 
Um, Yours, in my mind, when I think of Jackie, I think of like um, a 70s boy and Dolly Parton had a love child. Yeah. And that love child did witchcraft. And like, that's Jackie. Yeah. I love that so much. Oh, man. God. God bless Dolly Parton. Um, <laughs> uh, so one of the many other reasons that I love your content is your emphasis on body neutrality. There's this big movement of um, body positivity that I, I think most people probably hear that more often than not. But I I really love your emphasis on body neutrality. Neutrality. Could you sort of walk people through what that is if they don't know what it is, and sort of, um, you know, speak to why it's so important to you and your work? Well, originally, I called myself a body positive stylist, and then the body positive movement, a lot of big names came for me in oh. that movement. Okay. Um, and I. During that time period, I, I thought of someone who's in recovery from eating disorders, who loves my body, who is all about, I want everyone to feel comfortable and good in their own skin. I was told that because I'm now a straight sized person that I'm not allowed to. From oh, goodness. Several, and from like several big, and I'm not talking like, oh, just nobody's user number 758. I'm talking right. like people who have prominence. So I thought, okay, well, let me see how I can still let people know I'm a safe person. Yeah. Without having a whole movement come after me. Um, and I started getting into body neutrality, which honestly felt it resonated with me more than body yeah. positivity. And upon doing some research, a lot of people have a knee jerk reaction to body positivity the same way they do to toxic positivity. You know, yes. we hear a lot about like spiritual bypassing or toxic positivity. And when you really get to it, when you're dealing with a client who has spent their entire lives obsessing about their body, and hating it, body positivity can feel like a flip side of the same coin. Yeah. And ultimately the body is still at the, like the nucleus of their issues. And I'm not addressing the body. I'm addressing you showing up on the outside as your true and most authentic self. Your meat suit has nothing to do with it. Yeah. So for me, my body, like my relationship with my body is very complicated. Like everybody else's. Um, but mine, my body really doesn't play a factor into what I wear anymore. It's, I talk about this in my Kibbe systems and I talk about this when people talk, uh, ask me about the seasons, I go, yeah, you should know what you have. So then you can know if you want to lean into it or dress around it, but that's about it. Yeah. I, I love the body neutrality, um, viewpoint because like you said, the body positivity movement, and I'm not disparaging it at all. I think, you know, obviously it's doing amazing things. Like if it works for you, that is so great. Yep. But, um, for people with, um, sort of all or nothing personalities, it can, it can lean towards toxic positivity and can feel, um, either it can feel like something completely unapproachable that you can't, uh, ever see yourself doing or embracing, or, um, you can take it so far the other end of the spectrum. Um, and disingenuous to me too yeah. uh, because the big thing that I work on with my clients is really deprogramming any negative reactions that they've had about their body be it things they've internalized from societal pressures um, you know things that they've experienced in their own lives or people that around them that cut their body down it's really hard for me to it's kind of like uh, oh you're depressed cheer up about it oh yeah. your body has been a source of really bad things and feelings for you body positivity. It's very difficult unless you do the work to get to there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can love your body in a place of body neutrality um, just for what it is and keeping you alive and, and stuff like that without feeling like you need to um, be in love with every piece of your physical being all of the time. It's so all the time that your body is the least interesting part about your style journey. It's the least interesting part. A hundred percent. So I mentioned that you're a stylist to the stars, which is so cool. And we could do an entire other episode just asking you questions about that. <laughs> um, but I really want to talk about like the work that you do with us regular folks out there. Um, you offer one-on-one virtual styling sessions, your soul styling package. Um, could you walk us through what the process of that is like? Yeah. So soul styling, it's three virtual one hour sessions and they're all done on zoom. They're all completed at the client's pace. And instead of just going, here's what I think you should wear. 
I, what's that expression? You give a man a, a fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man yeah. to fish. You know, I'm teaching you how to fish in these sessions. So I'm really helping you rewire your relationship to shopping and to clothing in general. So the first session is really kind of like your meet the therapist session where we hang out on Zoom and we just chat kind of like this. And I go, okay, Jackie, what are the biggest things that you're struggling with when it comes to your personal style? And I take a bunch of notes. And from those notes, I am able to decipher out what that needs to look like visually. The same way that I'm really good at listening to an artist and go, here's how they need to sound in order to connect with their audience. I can do the same thing for a normal person. It's my hidden talent. It's my party trick. So I also walk people through the closet clean out sessions in that first or the closet clean out method that I have in the first session. And there's a version for neurodivergent. There's a version for neurotypical because I also realized that was a struggle that wasn't being talked about in fashion world. Um, My goal is for everyone to have a working wardrobe, which is where everything in that wardrobe works for my client and works together. And that closet clean out is the foundation. So that's just session. Oh, and I also identify your kibby body type. So that's all okay. session one. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell people, like, get comfortable. Session one's a lot. Um, session two, I take the mood board that I created from all my notes, and I teach my clients how to use it like a grocery list. So instead of going like, oh, here's a Pinterest board of 100 things, and I'm overwhelmed by everything, we start dissecting it the same way that if you meal prep for the week, you go, okay, well, I'm making these five things. I'm going to need onions for all of them. I'm going to need garlic for all of them. And you kind of go through. I go, okay, here's everything that you're going to need to wear in a week. This jacket keeps coming up over and over again. Here's three options for you to look at. And I send over links. Here's this jean style that keeps coming up. And I send over three links. And we go through that Pinterest board like it's a grocery list until you have all the ingredients. And the other thing too is a lot of people don't know where to shop. Yeah. So all and that's honestly because when you go and you google black skinny jeans the first thing that pops up is she in an amazon mm-hmm. they're the ones that pay for the seo so i know all the brands that are going to be the best fit for you i know where all the clothes live on the internet another hidden talent of mine couldn't tell you if i left the kettle on this morning <laughs> Same. so that's session two then you buy as much of that stuff as you want and then session three, we do our fitting, which is just like a fitting I do for a music video or photo shoot. And I go through and I go, here's what you're wearing to pick up the kids. Here's what you're wearing to the grocery store. Here's what you're wearing to work. Here's what you're wearing for a date. And we go through the list of everything. And I also give you the language to use with your tailor because most people are so overwhelmed and they just don't know what you can tailor and what you can't. Well, I've been doing this since 2011. I know what can be tailored and what can't. So... I give you that language as well to use, which a lot of people don't know. It's that anti-gatekeeping thing. Just I, here you go. I would have no idea what to say to a tailor. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. And most nine times out of 10, the same alterations are going to happen time and time again. I did one yesterday with one of my regular girls and she was, we, we talked all about her pants. We know all your pants are going to need to be hem. She's like five, two. And then she goes, why don't tops ever look good on me? And I said, if, you, if your pants need to be hemmed, don't you think your shirts do too? <laughs> it was like this light bulb clicked on and she went are you telling me i have to cut the bottom off of all of my shirts and I went, yeah i am so it's things like that that other people wouldn't be able to see and it's the most beautiful experience to watch someone come into this is exactly what i've always felt like this is exactly what i wanted to look like and i didn't know it was possible so by the end of it you know where to shop you know what to tell your tailor you know what you need in your closet you know how to avoid the dopamine shopping and you feel really just good, like an accurate representation of yourself. And um, I, f- I feel like this process also sort of, um, whether it, it's intentional or not, gives people sort of um, an understanding that just because the clothes off the rack at Target or wherever you're going to get your clothes don't fit you or feel right even though they're your size, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with your body. Like knowing that we can and should be tailoring things is such a simple thing that most people don't really think about. Um, But just to understand that most people aren't going to inherently 100% have everything fit right, right off of the rack is just such a freedom. Um, It is for people because the fit models that these companies use in the kibby 
body scales, the 13 different body types women can be, nine times out of 10, that model is a flamboyant natural, which is the most rare in the Kibbe body system. 2% of women in the world have that body type. Genuinely, 2%. So that's what's being marketed as 98% of us. So when I start kind of rewiring your brain about shopping. I work in tailoring like you would work in tipping. You're not going to go to a restaurant in America and go eat without tipping. Right. You're not going to buy something off the rack without tailoring it. And a lot of people go, well, that's like a stupid added expense. Not if it's something that you're going to wear over and over again. Not if it's part of your working wardrobe. If you're just going to do a Shein haul, yeah, because it's going to fall apart. But it's it's so important. This So it feels very much um, like a sort of modality of therapy, this whole process. <laughs> and I'm sure it feels that way for your clients. Um, do you Have you found yourself needing to sort of hold any boundaries with people? Because I know in, in any sort of like healing modality or any sort of um, work where you're really helping someone work through things – I know that boundaries can um, get pushed inadvertently. So have you found the need to sort of hold boundaries around what you will and will not get into during these sessions? No. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> you, you haven't had to yet. I hold boundaries with in-person clients. Ah, okay. But I really, I also just make sure to replenish my own energy and to take care of my own energy. I'm very, I wouldn't call myself antisocial, but I'm an introvert. So, um, and I have a very strict spiritual practice that kind of keeps me, my cup filled, uh, and they're non-negotiables that I have to do, or I just won't show up for work. Um, but I also feel like I can meet people where they're willing to meet me. So sometimes people feel like they're pulling teeth because they're not ready to do the process, but if someone's willing and ready to show up and they're giving me energy, I'm, I'm able to give it back. I love that. Um, so with the soul styling session or package, it's three sessions. Is yeah. there um, sort of a timeline that you like to have those three sessions spaced out? Of, no, you know, like you're in the driver's seat. So okay. a lot of, and the other thing too is I also offer soul styling unlimited, where you get unlimited sessions for a year. So I do have people that take me up on that, and we undergo the soul styling process fairly quickly. And then, like after we're done with our call today, I've got someone who just wants to try on a pair of jeans that she bought that's an unlimited session or, Hey, I've got a date next week. So a lot of times people use that when they want more of a mentor and a support system. Um, in, I really, that's funny. I haven't, I haven't really thought about a preference for timing. I always joke and say, you can do it in six days, six months or six years. It's a matter of you're in the driver's seat. You're the one that is going to be in charge. I do recommend doing it within a season because your mood board is based on that season. Okay. So, in three to four months time period really depends. Uh, no, I like the, the client is in the driver's seat because it is going to be um, an emotional process for a lot of people. So needing to be in the right headspace for each session, I think is important because a lot like, so I um, am a tarot reader, have been a tarot reader for professionally over six years now. Mm-hmm. And um, clients coming into a session with the right headspace is so yeah. important because at you as a client are going to get so much more if you're in the right the I right energetic space. Before and I've gone take your time, we'll rebook it. I have had a couple of those where it's like you're not ready to you're not ready to step on the next leg of this journey and that's okay. Come back in a couple of days when you've gathered your thoughts in your head. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Um as this, and you touched on this a little bit, but as a neurospicy human myself, I love that you tailor your virtual sessions to uh, neurodivergent people like me. Um, can you walk us through the differences between what a neurotypical and neurodivergent session look like? Yeah. So the sessions look the same. Okay. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, your closet clean out is going to need to be different than a neurotypical's closet clean out because depending on where you fall in that spicy spectrum, um, ADHD clients need to be able to see everything. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you to put things in bins because if it's in a bin, it doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> and I'm also going to really focus on shopping as a dopamine hit. And we're going to rework that dopamine hit where it's rewarding 
to not shop or it's rewarding to take something off of your shopping list as opposed to buying the same thing that we all, I like many other millennial women, TikTok told me I had ADHD. Mm -hmm. 29. I went and got tested. It was affirmed. And all of a sudden every single thing in my life was a lie. Yeah. I'm not lazy. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not insane. I just need to have things in my house a different way so I don't forget that they exist. So, and a lot of my shopping habits before we moved into a house that has no closets. So that was the big catalyst for me to have that working wardrobe. Um, I was buying the same thing over and over again because I either couldn't find what I had or just wanted the, ooh, shiny, this is fun. And I was treating retail as recreation instead of retail for a purpose. So I re I kind of help walk people through rewiring that part of their brain where the um, dopamine receptors are going to turn on for something else. I think it's also really helpful on sort of the other side of the coin. People, so I also was late diagnosed ADHD, <laughs> um, and if I do not see it, it does not exist. exist. Um, but uh, I had a mother. Oh, have <laughs> she's not she's not gone. <laughs> I have and had. Um, a mother and grandmother who love shopping and that is the thing they did for for, for sport <laughs> they were shoppers i hate it i absolutely hate shopping yeah. um a, as someone who is tall nothing fits me right ever um right. and i just don't enjoy it also being neurodivergent going out into a store is so overwhelming yes. for my brain the idea to have someone go hold my hand and say, here's this link that you can do it from home. You don't have to go near people or bright lights. <laughs> just just click this um, is so it's helpful. So do you go over like um, budgeting as well? So when, when somebody works with you and you like are looking for things for them in, in the process, do you go over like what their budget for a close is? Yes. Um, I I actually have one client who only thrifts things. So that looks a little different than if someone had an unlimited budget, but yes. And then we also talk about um, long-term shopping. So, okay, well, we're going to spend $200 this month. So we really need to get you a pair of jeans that you're going to wear for the next six years. Yeah. Uh, We're going to, oh, we've got 150 this week. Why don't we wait until next week when we've got more and then we'll be able to get you that shirt that you want. And I say that style is a marathon, not a sprint. So a lot of this is handholding until you reach the finish line. Which is an important reminder for someone like me who wants everything to be just done now. <laughs> like it's an art form. So it's like making a record or making a painting or baking a cake or doing anything else creative. You can't just snap your fingers and make a record. You can't just snap your fingers and make a painting. There are things that we have to do. We have to prep the canvas. We have to set up microphones. We have to, you know, do, I don't know. I don't know how to bake. So whatever, (laughs) preheat the oven. You can't just throw a cake in and and it's great. Um, It's an art form. It's what sucks about style as an art form is that it's the only form of art we have to own. So it feels like a punishment if we're not good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you I'd say this all the time. I'm like a broken record. You don't have to buy music. You don't have to buy art. You don't have to partake in really great food, but you have to put clothes on your body. And a lot of people struggle with anything remotely creative and knowing shapes and knowing cuts and knowing where to find things. It just, a lot of people are resentful that they have to wear clothes. So I start with a lot of people who are there. They're That's going to be such a an interesting process to see unfold, to go from being resentful of sort of that process to learning how to embrace it and do it on your own and actually enjoy it. Because art is so important and intrinsic to our like well-being as humans yeah. and um, – Dressing ourselves is a form of art that we can live in every single day and can make our brains feel happier every single day. It's um, And it's something I am not good at, <laughs> and it's something that I've been trying to work on slowly over the past I'm few years. I'm not good at making records, and I'm not good at making paintings, and I'm not good at anything else, but I could learn. 
Yeah. You know, I really, when I was a kid, I really loved the drums and I really wanted to learn. And I, if I sat down at them without lessons and went, well, I'm bad at it. So I give up. It's been like 17 years and I have a drum kit still. So it's things that we have to, we have to really just give ourselves grace and patience, which most people don't want to do these days. And the other thing is that COVID made us all really lazy when it comes to getting dressed and it made it like, oh, well, I can just wear sweatpants all day long anyway and no one will judge me. Yeah. Who cares? It, But you can use your style as a way to influence how other people view you and how they treat you. And I just don't know why you wouldn't use that to your advantage. And it, it also um, really changes. It can change how you feel and can change your levels of motivation. In, that was uh, the number one catalyst for me healing my relationship with my body, with my eating disorder, was being able to dress it. In a way that I felt for the longest time when I was at my sickest, I was just hiding behind big hoodies and jeans and Converse and just praying that no one noticed me. Yeah. That's where I was at for a very long time. And I'm working on slowly climbing my way out of that. So I completely... It wasn't how I felt. It wasn't what I was drawn to. It wasn't the things that inspired me. So when I was finally able to... I remember my first vintage dress purchase. I was 16. I finally felt like I'm coming out happening and I got made fun of relentlessly for it at school and I didn't give a shit can I swear oh my god absolutely (laughs) yeah I did not care I went you know what I feel like I do on the inside finally and it's your fault if you don't like it it's so nice to have been able to do that at such a young like vulnerable age because god 16 sucks my mom tried to turn me into what not to wear Oh boy. And I remind her that every time that I have a really big milestone in my career. She tried to turn you into the actual show? The show. Mm-hmm. No, no. Mom. I had a design that I made that I had sketched out from sketch all the way to suit on a billboard in Times Square. And I sent it to my mom. And the first thing I said was, remember when he tried to turn me into what not to wear? Oh my gosh, mom. Tyra show when Tyra had a show. When she was doing makeovers. I'm like, I'm not gonna wear business casual. Oh. I was just I just grew up in the burbs where no one understood it. Oh man. Mom. <laughs> That's so aggressive. <laughs> and I, I I've heard horror stories about people that have been on the Tyra show, so I'm glad you didn't end it. Yeah, I believe it. Oh boy. Um So part of the premise of this podcast is just, again, the opposite of gatekeeping and sharing lessons learned and stuff for aspiring small business owners. So on that note, I'd love to get your advice sort of from two perspectives. Um, First being, what advice would you want to give someone that's looking to get into styling as a profession specifically? Don't. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) At least styling for musicians and styling in general is you are going to be dealing with people at their most vulnerable. You need to be trauma informed before you walk into a dressing room. You need to know all about your body, other people's bodies. You need to know the whole Kibbe system. You need to have a basic knowledge of fabrics and cuts and textures and fabrics, but you really need to understand people before you start styling. I I also think that there's been a shift in stylists and hairstylists and makeup artists, especially the behind the scenes people. Hmm. Obviously we have to have social media to get more clients, but there has been this shift where the glam squad thinks they're the celebrity and you're not. So don't walk into this thinking that you're going to get all these sponsorships and these big brand deals and all this stuff. Walk in with the heart of service first and then everything else will follow. Yeah. And I think the, um, advice of being trauma-informed first is so important. One, for anybody that's going to work with people in such an intimate capacity. Um, But two, also to help protect yourself and your peace because knowing how to um, work with people and handle people and meet them wherever they are is going to help you to not absorb all of that as well. Because I can only imagine the stories that you have working with people in such an intimate space. And once again, it's, I can only meet people where they're willing to meet themselves. And the fashion industry is 
like any other industry, it can be toxic. It can be catty. It can be cutthroat. So I'm responsible for me and I'm responsible for my clients and anyone else. I'm not, I just don't worry about them. Just don't. Such important advice. I know. Oh man. care so much about, uh, well, are my clients famous enough for people to care about me? Are you just ego? So I had so much ego death is involved in working in the entertainment industry that if you don't kill your ego off pretty quickly, it will come back and bite you in the ass. <laughs> uh, so what advice or more generally would you have for anybody like in your industry or otherwise just looking to start their own business, like go out on their own and do their own thing? Um, if you're going into anything glam, assist first because you'll be able to watch someone and shadow exactly what someone else has done. And then you can decide if you want to make tweaks or not. Okay. Because I assisted for a couple of stylists before I really went off into this full time and I saw what I liked, how they did it. And I saw what, how I didn't like it. And I also saw how the ropes were run. I think there's another podcast I listened to where they talked about gatekeeping and it was spirit. It was like a spiritual podcast and they were mm-hmm. talking about people all of a sudden just demanding all of this information all at once. And I think about this girl that reached out to me and we'll not name her name. Uh, but she had just gotten started and I was about four or five years in and she reaches out and she goes, Hey, I'd love to get some advice. I'd love to take you for coffee. And I went, I'm actually really busy. If you want to assist me, I'm cool with that. I'm happy to train you and then send you off into the world like a little baby bird. She goes, I just need to know what your contract looks like. And I oh, said, boy. Well, why would I give you my contract? And she goes, well, I'm starting and I just want to know what I should charge. And I said, well, what I'm going to charge is going to be more than what you're going to charge because you're new and you're starting out. I don't have time for that. The big thing is you have to not skip any of the steps or what's going to happen is you're going to have to fall down the ladder and repeat them. Something's going to bite you in the ass and you're going to have to go back and start over. Um, So the big thing is be willing to do the work. Most things in entertainment are tenure process. Like it's, you know, the joke is the 10 year town. You're going to dedicate at least a decade before you get somewhere and just have that in the back of your mind. Like, I know this is going to be work and I know it's going to be worth it, but I think a lot of people don't, there's a reason why gates are kept. It's because we have the, we have the, we've done the work. We have, we call, we hold these things sacred. Some things need to be gate kept. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you earned the keys. So earn the keys. That's the big thing. That's what I would tell anyone. Earn the keys to the gate, and then you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. So Some things always need to be gatekept, um, if for nothing else, to save somebody from themselves. Yes. Because if you get information that you don't know how to uh, – like, if you get – if you're given, like, a certain number um, – to charge people, but your work isn't held up to that standard, you're going to fall. Um, if you're given information you don't know how to handle and you try to go out and wield it, you're going to fail. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so I'm not um, like fiercely anti-gatekeeping in that way, but I am anti-gatekeeping in um, – just trying to keep things well. I, you know, I spent time researching. So why would I want to share that with anybody? Well, because my time isn't necessarily the same as everybody else's time. I um, am really privileged to have like more resources and time than maybe another person does. So I look at it from that perspective. But yes, I absolutely agree in saving people from themselves in yes. that way. Do what I do. It's easy for me to go, here's all these things that I've already learned, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to go out and start a styling business and also hurt the reputation of the name stylist. Right. In doing that. I actually, I thought about this. Um, the other thing that I would tell people is everybody talks and you can use that to your advantage or you cannot. Yeah. That's oh, the big one. I-, I went to go pick up some pieces from my friends who are uh, really great rhinestoners in town, which is the most natural thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Me that they're done with all stylists, but me, I didn't ask names. I didn't ask for any explanations. They're, we're just done with everybody except you. We're done with all the other stylists. Everyone else can go F themselves. And I was laughing because I just thought they done did it. They messed up. 
the other stylist have messed up. And I asked them why. And they said, you're the only one that pays on time. You're the only one that's nice. You're the only one that asks about how we are. It's everybody's going to talk. And your reputation and how you make people feel and the energy that you bring into the room, regardless of whether you do something in glam or you do something else creative. I mean, can you imagine if you were a tarot reader with a really bad attitude every time? Yeah. No. Uh, Jack is actually like really mean. I don't want to go back. Yeah. And um, that really ties into um, what we were saying earlier about um, the ego death and mm-hmm. really just letting go of whatever your expectations are of, um, you know, who you think you are because you're styling, styling somebody that you feel like is important doesn't mean that you get to go be a dick to other people and not have that spread around. Like, sure, you you have free will. Go be a dick if you want to, but it's going to hurt you in the long run. Well, uh, I think the other thing, too, is I'm a representative of my artist whose team yeah. I'm on. And my artists aren't dicks. The ones that my, – my children, my 29 that I work with on a regular basis, they're not dicks. So if I am part of their team, I'm an extension of their brand. I'm an arm of their – artistic self, I have to represent them at all times. And that I had a moment where I realized that and I went, Oh shit, I'm on someone's, I was on someone's team that I don't admire, appreciate, or even respect. I got to get out just because this person was famous. I got to get out. I don't respect myself right now. And that was the big ego death is the, it doesn't matter if this person is famous and selling out everywhere. They're not a good person and it's reflecting on you. So do you want to cling to the fame or do you want to be able to look yourself in the mirror at night? And that was the ego death. That was the catalyst to it. And um, not even necessarily just looking yourself in the mirror every night, but also what other people are going to think of you in the industry. Because if you are signing your name to a dick, people are going to think that of you. Exactly. And I'm a big believer in as long as you – are coming from a place of purity and you're coming from a place of service, your clients are always going to come. I haven't, I got fired from my last day job and was forced to go out full time. That was six, six, seven years ago. And ever since then, it's like, I've always been provided for. I've always had the best clients for me at that moment in time. I've always been able to provide and I've always been able to keep the lights on because I am coming at it from a place of how can I help you as opposed to what can I get from you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Being a genuine human being across the board is that just a life hack. so important. It's just the life hack. It's just be human. It's great. Yeah. Oh God. I wish, yeah. I wish we were all born with that knowledge because there are many <laughs> people who are not. No. All right. Well, Let's get on to the three questions that I ask everybody on this show. So um, inner child healing is a massive part of just everybody's journey, and it's something that I always like to touch on. And this is everyone's least favorite question. Um, If 10-year-old – oh, no. This is the second least favorite question. If 10-year-old you could see who you are today, what would they say? I'm trying to think where I was at 10. Okay, so when I was 10, that was a rough time for uh, old Peyton there. Yeah, I think we all had that universal experience. <laughs> it was like, it's 2001. Oh, shit. Uh, 10-year-old Peyton was... Oh, okay. I'm not going to get emotional. I am a little bit. Um, 10-year-old Peyton struggled to be seen and struggled to be heard and understood. And the fact that now that's my job is to make other people feel seen and heard and understood and represented correctly in a way that makes them feel good about themselves, she would think that's pretty cool. That's why I love this question and I continue to ask everybody because it, it might not be something that we reflect on on our own, but have, like being forced to answer this question, it's, yeah. I just love people seeing like, oh, yeah, she would think I was fucking awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. And you told me like we made it and we're not ugly anymore. No. <laughs> Oh, no. no, we're not, kid. We don't wear hoodies anymore. Get out of them. Oh, I love it. Um, So here is everybody's least favorite question. <laughs> Part of my brand is helping people embrace Leo levels of self-love as a quadruple Leo. I like to force that on everyone else. <laughs> quadruple Leo? 
uh-huh uh leo sun rising mercury and mars okay i'm a leo moon okay so let's do this i've got an aquarius moon which is just the opposition of all my leo stuff but um that being said tell me three things that you love about yourself physical or non-physical anything whatever you want i love my ability to see people for who they truly are I love my work ethic and my sense of humor. Those are my big three. I love how easy that was. It makes me so happy when somebody – my therapist makes so much money. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me happy when somebody can pick three right away um, because I many people – I used to have a question. I used to send out a questionnaire to people, and so many people just refused to do it, so I just stopped. But one of the questions was, what is one thing you'd like to highlight about yourself? What is one thing that you like about yourself physically? And so many people couldn't answer it. And it was just pitiful. So I stopped asking it. So I might need to put that back on there. Yeah, I am going to force people. I have you trapped here and you have to answer my questions. So <laughs> I'm forcing people also, to answer. Uh, I'm going to add another one because I'm going to break the rules because I'm a Virgo and I'm going to make the rules. Um, I love that my hair is famous on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh. that. So many people go, I sent your haircut to my hairstylist. And you, because that's, so many people made fun of me for it in high school. That's something that I didn't even think to talk about, which was so silly. I'm sure most people would think to talk to you about this. Um, if you're not watching and if you have not looked at Peyton, <laughs> everybody is constantly telling you that you look like Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yeah. Is that exhausting? She got mistaken for me two years ago. I remember you saying that, and I told my husband about that last night. I was like, how cool is that? (laughs) It was just the nicest full circle moment ever. I've been in the same room with her. She's a foot shorter than me and 10 years older. It's just the haircut, and people go, oh, white girl with bangs. Yeah. So, but I, then I don't help it by like playing the ukulele and also like being obsessed with Brian Wilson. So like, it's fine. <laughs> I feel like if you're drawn to this haircut, you should have those things. But, um, I, I, we both stole our haircut from the same woman anyway. So we yeah. both stole it from Ronstadt. So it's fine. I'm in good company. I, you must get it constantly. Boring. Cause I, I see it in your comments, like pretty much anytime I see one of your videos. Yeah. So. I can't imagine. I just need it right now because people love her, so I might as well. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it would drive me insane. I'm grateful that I don't look like somebody specific because At that would drive she's me. she's not ugly and she's rich. So. She's, she's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. If I am someone that has like multi-millions of dollars, I was like, thank you. I would sign autographs. Uh, that the, All the Leo in me would just be like, yeah. yep, it's me. I have. <laughs> About it was 2009, and the or maybe 2010, that movie Nowhere Boy came out, the mm. like John Lennon movie that was real weird. And like the director was like 40 and groomed the 17 year old actor. Anyway, so as like the local Beatle expert, I got invited to this film festival where it was being played for the first time. And if you watch me on TikTok, you'll know how much I hate biopics with a passion. So I just sat there the whole time like this, watching this movie, <laughs> Lennon, just with my arms crossed. And this guy got hammered and kept, you know, this was before New Girl had come out. So he just kept quoting Almost Famous at me. And we walked out of the theater and he asked for an autograph and I said 50 bucks. And he paid me and I signed an autograph. <laughs> A men deserve it, to be fair. Yeah. So. He kept going, fuck you. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is great. <laughs> I'm like, the movie's trash, you're trash, I'm going to make something off of it. Yeah, that's, that is, I would be a monster, I think. (laughs) I think I would, I would never do it to women. To Zoe, if I'm ever in the same room with her again, but like, I signed an autograph as you for 50 bucks, it was 11 years ago, I'm so sorry. I feel like she would co-sign that, I think she'd be okay with it. I heard that Katy Perry used to lie and say that she was Zoe to get into clubs in LA. So I think that Zoe's probably used to it. That sounds very Katy Perry. (laughs) All right. Um, So the entire premise of this podcast is like just supporting other small businesses, helping people that want to get into starting their own small business. So 
that being said, what small business have you been loving lately that you'd like to give a shout out to? Okay. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Valeria. She's my friend in real life. She was actually my husband's friend from high school and then I stole her. So now we're friends. <laughs> I stole my husband's friends too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Valeria is like if Miss Frizzle were an art teacher, but the art teacher is Puerto Rican. Oh, so, I love her. Her style is super out there and super wacky. And like she, you know, when people see like the Gucci ads, they're like, who's wearing that? It's Valeria. That's what it is. Um, so she started her earring company and she originally started by doing teeny tiny pet portrait earrings. And she made me some of my kids, my dogs, and they look just like them. And it's bizarre, but she also does like stranger things ones and Beetlejuice, but her company is called VM art and co. And okay. it's just like big fun statement earrings for anyone who needs them. And she can do custom. She also did this whole series during Valentine's day of like the little tiny, candy hearts but they said stuff like fuck off on them and it was great oh i love that uh, yeah, you just I describing her makes me want to go uh see her stuff that sounds amazing yeah. she surprised me on my 30th birthday uh a couple years ago almost two years ago and she was like what are you gonna do for your birthday i'm like i don't really have anything planned i don't know and she goes oh well your my birthday gift to you is being delivered in like 15 minutes i'm tracking it so just like stay at your house and she showed up at my doorstep oh <laughs> i love that so, i'm all about it i love her stuff and she's brand new she's just started she's at a couple festivals a couple pop-ups but go pimp her out on tiktok she also does these really satisfying um like i guess videos of her doing her entire process oh. i'm blown away by people that can actually paint because i cannot same I cannot make my brain – like, I'll have an image in my brain, but my hand cannot do that. <laughs> She's a genius, so go follow her. She's super fun. Oh, I love that. Okay. I'm going to be checking her out immediately after this. Uh, well, let's go on, on that uplifting note. Tell everybody where they can find you and book a session with you and all that jazz. I am the Peyton Project everywhere. Instagram, TikTok. Why do I say everywhere? Like, there's more than two places. <laughs> Just those two places. MySpace. <laughs> I wish we could bring MySpace back so badly. Oh, me too. Me we too. do. I wish we could. I miss it all the time. I miss not being connected to social media on my phone all the time. Uh, MySpace was the days. Like oh, a family room and you'd go on and you'd be like, oh my God, dopamine hit. Okay, and then I'm going to go eat dinner and then I'm going to leave it in the other room. Just casually coding to make things look fun. Oh, okay. Early 2000s. All right. I will link everything in the show notes. So I'll have all the spellings, all of your um, socials and everything will be there. So people don't have to worry about the spelling. Um, but that being said, my name is Jackie, a.k.a. Your Cosmic Bestie. You can find me at TikTok and Instagram at Your Cosmic Bestie. And you can book a reading with me or get any of my witchy goods at yourcosmicbestie.com. Uh, if you want to join the Working Witch family over on Instagram, we're at Working Witch. Again, everything will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Peyton, for being here. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. This was so much fun. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.